Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Dear Diary. Sixth grade. February 14th. 1991. I am really depressed. How could she break up with me? Mom, you can't read this. This particular journal was largely about boys, boys I had crushes on, boys I went out with, boys I made out with. It's actually only the bottom half of the page, but I had like drawn an actual baseball diamond and I wrote down next to each base when and with whom I had reached said base. (laughs) It did help me kind of organize all of this kind of uh, unfamiliar stuff. But, you know, it also turns it into this sort of weird competition. Who had gone to first? Who had gone to second? Who had been to third? Like, you know, it's funny when you think about how things get disseminated in like a pre-internet age. How did all of this spread among like every teenager in America? Like, how did everyone know this? It's very strange. Over a century and a half before Dory Shafrir drew that baseball diamond in her diary, the first organized baseball game was played in New Jersey. And by the end of World War II, baseball had become America's undisputed pastime. It had captured the hearts of Americans everywhere. And then, around that same time, a teenager somewhere in America figured out that the rules of baseball could apply to something that sounds more like this. Oh yeah. From PRX and Radiotopia, this is the Mortified Podcast. I'm Neil. Today, in honor of opening day, we're celebrating baseball in the only way Mortified can. By devoting an entire episode to the exploration of the bases of adolescent romance. Also known as the minor leagues of sex. And we're going base by awkward base until someone, anyone, finally scores. Now, for our non-American listeners, fear not. You don't need to understand baseball. Here's how Lisa Dushan explained the bases in her diary back in the 1970s. Today's Valentine's Day. I wore a new outfit I got at Bashing Conspiracy. 
30 guys were following the new girl around, trying to see her. You'd think she was Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> Anna B. and Anna T. kept asking me how far I've gone, but I wouldn't tell them. First base is kissing. Second base is feeling off. Third base is fingering. And fourth base is going all the way, or fucking. <laughs> Anna T. is the biggest slut at Whittier. She's so desperate for a dick. Now, on the surface, the bases just seem like a juvenile way to understand making out and foreplay and sex. I mean, it's literally treating sex as if it were a game, which probably explains why it caught on in the first place, even with teenagers who couldn't care less about baseball. The wind-up and the pitch... Jackson swings and knocks one up the middle. He rounds first with a leadoff single. Which brings us to first base. Leonard Hyman had never been kissed when he wrote the following diary entry at age 12. December 8th. Today I went down to Beth's boat. We played Scrabble, but nothing happened. It's obvious she wanted something too, though. While we listened to sitting up in my room, we gave each other loving glances. She wants it. I want to give it to her. But what is it? December 16th, not much happened today, except my first kiss. Beth, Jesse, and I went to see Star Trek First Contact. It was good. Right before the movie's kissing scene, we had our own. We had been holding hands, and all of a sudden, I just turned in front of her and put my lips upon hers. She looked strange, like worried. <laughs> it was so quick and unkissish, I questioned it. But I kissed her and she didn't turn away or anything. It was so great. Wow. My first kiss. Wow. <laughs> Okay, so you've made it safely to first, which means you're already eyeing what's next. But the question remains, how do you know when it's safe to advance? Jackson trying to steal second. Here's the throw, and it's a close one. When it came to second base, our next reader, Erica Etten, spent years resisting the chance to stretch a single into a double. And by freshman year of college, she suddenly found herself in a different league. Hi, I'm Erica, and in high school I was, um, we'll just say very sheltered, uh, and I remember my first boyfriend uh, tried to go up my shirt, and the next time, on our next date, I tucked my shirt in so hard <laughs> into my limited jeans, so there was no way he was getting up there. So when I got to college, things were a bit of a shock to me. 
Friday, December 3rd, 1999. I really, really like Adam. He's perfect in every way. Well, I was in his room and something happened. I was doing my homework and then he played the guitar while we both sang Breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay, so we laid down and I, of course, couldn't sleep. I was with Adam. He caressed my hair and face, but I wasn't sure if he was sleeping or not. He wasn't. Then he sort of moved positions so our faces were facing each other very close. My heart was beating. Then he kissed me. At first there was no tongue, but it came soon. (laughs) He touched my breasts, first with my bra on, then off. I can still feel his hands on my breasts. He pinched them, and it kind of hurt, but it was so worth it. We kissed a lot more. He sucked my right breast. I felt his hard penis against me. We kept kissing. I didn't know a single word of slang for any of the body parts. (laughs) It's all very clinical. Conventional wisdom states that second base involves someone's hand going up someone else's shirt. But while putting this episode together, we were shocked to discover there's a huge disagreement out there over the definitions of second and third base. In fact, we ended up in a pretty heated discussion with our college intern, Eric Bass, who, as a millennial, had a very different take. Uh, Second base would be any sort of touching or feeling including butts, boobs, a penis, whatever you're whatever you want to touch. Third base would be oral, something with your mouth. At first, we thought Eric was crazy. But he guaranteed he wouldn't be the only millennial with this opinion. So, we gathered up some folks in a round table, some millennials, some not, to get to the bottom of this. And here's what his college friend Megan had to say. I defined it um as kind of steps in clothing. Second base was like underclothes stuff. So like fingering, grabbing boobs, stuff like that. And then third base was like naked. So like oral sex. Yeah, I think my second base included fingering too. So like, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) But Katie, who grew up in the 90s, only a decade earlier, strongly disagreed. You're putting something in a part of your body. That yeah. Is, that, is, that, is, that is far beyond second base for me. <laughs> and Eric Moore, who grew up in the 80s, also agreed with Katie. When I was growing up in the 80s, oral sex was not considered third base. But I'm hearing that that's considered third base now. I don't know. I feel like, I, I feel like I'm getting into, like, you know, old man territory where I'm, I kind of am judgy. <laughs> I, I, kind of I didn't feel that. I got you yeah. like, mm. and, and, I, and I feel horrible. I'm a very sex positive person. We wondered what exactly is second base for a gay teenager. Eric decided to conduct some impromptu research to see what the real experts had to say. I went on Yahoo Answers. <laughs> this was specifically what, what the question of what is second base for gay guys. And I like what Ethan S said <laughs> seven years Good old ago. Ethan. He's, he he thinks that. Uh, 
second base is body groping, and he says, more than kissing, less than dick grabbing. And, and I think that that works. So thanks, Ethan S. What was clear by the end of our conversation was that when it comes to defining booty baseball, none of us are experts anymore. What was once a way for some teenagers to simplify sex has become, well, complicated. Which brings us to the part of the game that we used to call... A line drive up the middle. Jackson rounds third and is being held there by his coach. I don't know about that. This announcer thinks he could have made it. Third base, a.k.a. below the waist. Which is exactly where Sandy Bacharach found herself during her first serious relationship in high school. February 27th, Thursday. I touched Adam's penis tonight. (laughs) Yep, tonight I gave my first hand job. His dick is a handful. I've never felt one before. I never got to see it, but I want to next time. I asked him to correct me if the need be. He said I could never touch him wrong. I really like Adam, and I'm so horny, and I sometimes get upset when we don't make out. I need to chill out of it. March 4th, Wednesday. Adam and I went into a dressing room and made out for almost an hour. Oh, it was so nice. I saw it. The it is, of course, it's a penis. I can't say if it's big or not. I have no comparison. March 9th, Monday. Saturday night, I slept over at Adam's. His parents were out of town. It was an interesting night. We were in his room, on his bed, and we discussed how we both feel about our relationship. We also talked about how we feel things are going sexually. He is loving things. (laughs) He loves every way where I touch him. He's been thinking a lot about oral sex lately. He was sort of hoping I'd do that to him. I flat out said that I didn't want to have sex with him and I wasn't ready for him to eat me out or for me to give him a blowjob. He actually likes my coochie. It was a night of exploration and learning. As we talked, we were both giving each other hand jobs. I talked to Jill and Mimi. Our relationships are kind of strained now. Jill feels I'm too into me. Well, I really don't have much time lately, but her life really sucks right now. She has an inflammatory bowel disease. Adam that I think his dick is large. I left out the most important news. I made him come. He's always been wet and I didn't know there was a difference, but when he came, it was like a fountain. He showed me how to do it. I commented on how gentle he was with his penis and he said that you have to be. Okay, so you've rounded three bases. 
made lots of errors, you've struck out too many times to bother counting, and probably thought about quitting once or twice. But somehow, magically, you're still in the game. And just like any other red-blooded American teenager, you're ready to score. It's the bottom of the ninth, two outs, two on. Winning run at the plate, this is it. And here's the pitch, and that one's hit hard and deep. It's going, going, gone! The home run! I can't believe it! How is this happening? Oh my God, they did it! They did it! The crowd's going absolutely bananas! Going all the way as a teenager is a big deal. It's huge. For most of us, the thought of hitting a home run feels like a far-off fantasy. The skill required to finally lose one's V-card is way more monumental than just hitting a baseball over a distant fence. So perhaps it's not surprising that our final reader, Margot Lightman, decided to lose her V-card by swinging for the fences, all the way past the American border. So I hated high school. And I had this very brief glimpse into happiness, summer between my freshman and sophomore year, when my parents sent me away for three glorious weeks to a sleepaway camp for youth who excel in the arts. I know summer after freshman year is an odd year to start sleepaway camp, but it was wonderful. (laughs) Because there, everyone was mildly depressed, uh, and I fit in really well. (laughs) I met a lot of new friends, and... I stayed in touch with a lot of them via letters after camp, one of them being this uh, handsome counselor in training from Puerto Rico named Roberto, who we wrote letters back and forth, and just friendly letters throughout the years like I did with other people from camp. Until my junior year of high school, my parents and I were going on a vacation to the Virgin Islands for spring break. And on about day three, being trapped on an island with Sylvia Plath over here. Uh, (laughs) My parents were starting to, like, really desire to have a good time. And I made this wonderful suggestion of, hey, guys, why don't you take your virginal 17-year-old daughter and let her get on a plane alone to go visit her older Puerto Rican camp friend named Roberto... whom you've never met, who's just a quick puddle jumper away in Puerto Rico. What do you say? And they were like, please leave. We will will pay for it. Just get out of here so we can enjoy life. Uh, And so I got on the plane to Puerto Rico alone. I obviously proceeded to fuck Roberto because... There's just no other way that that story could possibly end. And uh, I came back to high school in New Jersey. I wrote a 24-page journal entry chronicling the before, during, and after of that disguised... (laughs) Disguised in a notebook labeled chemistry so nobody would find it. Um, Okay. Here we go. I walked out of the terminal and there he was, in a light purple colored shirt with denim shorts and black sandals. As we were riding back, I thought to myself, if he takes my hand, I'll let it go further than just a friendship. If he doesn't, I'll just leave it as is, which is okay too. And suddenly, within five or 10 seconds of that thought, he took one hand off the steering wheel and and took mine. (laughs) 
To quote Tori Amos. (laughs) With everybody looking, he took hold of my hand. No one else's. Nothing perverted or sleazy about it. Sheer romance. We dropped his friend Roxanne off, and he took me to this beautiful area in old San Juan. We stood there with his arms around me, staring at the view. And ever so slowly, he turned around and kissed me. A beautiful kiss, soft, confident, and very sincere. His touch was so gentle upon my breasts. (laughs) It was very obvious that he was a caring lover and that he had had his fair share of experiences. I remember thinking, should I stop this? We work so well together as friends. Yet the thought that kept repeating in my brain was, this is good, finally, this is happening between us. We moved over to the grass and continued there. He was so sensual, and I mean that to the utmost degree. (laughs) Touching me and kissing me and putting all his heart into it. Not the half-assed childish groping I've been so accustomed to lately. (laughs) When he went down on me, I knew that he must respect and care for me very much to do that. especially since I wouldn't do it for him. So I just want to say, I'm not a selfish lover. It's really... (laughs) It's really just that this is the 90s and I'm terrified of AIDS. And I thought it, you know, it would come out of the penis into my mouth. That's what I thought. So... There is a subplot, a a B-plot throughout this piece that you'll see that I am terrified of AIDS and it comes out, I never say it, but you'll notice throughout this piece now, just look. It's very evident how how scared I am of AIDS in this piece, okay. After much activity, I started to tire out and he sensed that being the perceptive person he has always been. So we just lied there together, practically naked, together. And so we lied there, together, (laughs) holding each other, talking, and then went for a walk. We ended up at the other end of the castle. It was even more beautiful there. And so he kissed me again, this time with more passion and vigor than ever before. And before we realized it, we were both totally naked, standing there in this beautiful place, pleasuring each other to the utmost degree. (laughs) And right before things got too extreme, I said, if you're gonna do something, you better have something, see? (laughs) And he said, not here. And so with that, we continued. Then I said I could resist him. In fact, I would resist him all the way to the car. So he kept trying to seduce me and I kept ignoring him and he began to get very frustrated. And so he picked me up and threw me to the ground and started kissing me. And I kept saying, no, leave me alone, all jokingly. And all of a sudden he stopped and said, I can't do this. I feel like I'm raping you and I don't want to feel like that. (laughs) 
I thought that was just the sweetest, most adorable thing. (laughs) Most adorable thing he could say. Soon after we returned to his house, there was such passion in his every movement, such concern. He really wanted to please me and was very concentrated. He would kiss my lips and then my neck and my chest also sweetly, yet very strongly and assuring. I loved kissing his chest. He's a little chubby, but I found comfort in that. (laughs) A few moments later, as he was laying on top of me, looking down at me with his dark hair all tussled, his shirt off and his eyes staring at me and my naked body, he said, should I go get a condom? And I said, do you want to? And he said, only if you do. And that's what did it for me. The fact that he wanted to make sure I was comfortable with it. I said, I want to. And he said, so do I. And so he went to go get a condom. And I went to the bathroom. I wasn't nervous or scared, just happy and perfectly quintessential knowing that I was about to sleep with my camp friend, Roberto. He began kissing me and touching me all over. And when his clothes came off, I asked him to put it on. And he did. And there is nothing more romantic than safe sex. The feeling of, this is okay, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing, makes everything so much more enjoyable. He asked me if we should put on more lubricant. I said it didn't really matter, and he said, well, I don't want to hurt you. Finally, I meet a guy that doesn't want to hurt me, and he lives in fucking Puerto Rico. At one point, he just took both of my hands and looked into my eyes and didn't exactly smile, but just stared at me very reassuringly. I'll remember that look as long as I live. Those deep brown eyes staring at me as our hands were intertwined and our bodies literally attached. The only bad thing was that after a full day of hiking in the rainforest, I was extremely tired. And so I stopped before he wanted to. But I couldn't help it. He asked me if we were finished, and I said, sorry, but yes, I'm really tired. (laughs) And he said, if I don't come very soon, my penis will explode. It was so funny. Just because he has the cutest Spanish accent and a little bit of a lisp, And he says every moment as if it were a dramatic moment in a play. So I lied there naked next to him as he pleasured himself so he wouldn't explode. And then when he started to shake, I asked him if he was okay, if he was cold. And he said, no, I'm having sex. And I was like, yeah, all by yourself. (laughs) It was so great how much we could laugh at this whole unpredictable situation. And so we got up. Things started all over again. 
I began kissing him. His hands roamed and went down below. His fingers were moving around inside of me so far that it was like nothing I had ever felt. An amazing sexual feeling that could never be matched. The whole situation was just so incredibly beautiful. Tall, dark, and handsome older guy sweeping you off your feet with fine dining, beautiful scenery, and romantic settings. And it all happened to me. It's hard coming back to New Jersey life without him. But he made me happy, a noble accomplishment. I'll see him again, someday. Perhaps in a few months, perhaps a few years, perhaps when I'm 30 and divorced. (laughs) When he's 31 and single, perhaps he'll show up at my doorway tomorrow. Any way you look at it, I will see him again. That's the only thing in my topsy-turvy life that I can count on, which in its strange little way is a beautiful thing. Thank you. That was Margot Lightman on stage in Los Angeles. And if you enjoyed her performance, check out her memoir, Gawky, and her brand new book on storytelling, Long Story Short, at margolightman.com. And this concludes our exploration of the basis of adolescent romance, where we learned that despite its lack of inclusiveness or how outmoded it may become, the metaphor of booty baseball has always served a purpose. It's almost like you know, the the metaphor of the bases is like the training wheels for yeah. us to learn about mm-hmm. our sexuality and what we're comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once you've kind of achieved it, you know, enough times, it's like, okay, I don't really need those training wheels anymore. I know how sure. to get to home base. Yeah. I don't need the map to get there. To share the shame, follow us on Facebook or Twitter, or visit GetMortified.com to learn about Mortified stage shows, books, films, and beyond. Click participate, and who knows, maybe you'll appear on a future episode of this series. As many of you know, the Mortified Podcast is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, which is made possible with support from the Knight Foundation and MailChimp, who celebrate creativity, chaos, and teamwork. To sponsor our podcast, email sponsor at Radiotopia.fm. Throughout this episode, you've been hearing the great Hal Lublin as our old-timey baseball announcer. We highly recommend listening to Hal's own podcast, We Got This, as well as his many appearances on Thrilling Adventure Hour and Welcome to Night Vale. Here's Hal to read our credits. Our podcast production team for this episode includes these MVPs. Kathy Tu, Dave Nadelberg, and Neil Catcher. Batting cleanup, Sarah Faith Alterman, Carmen Noble, Shay DeGrandis, Jessica Leaf, Pierce Purcelli, Karen Sykes, and Susan Danahy's story produced these entries for the stage. Music by Gordon Bash, Alex Burke, Adam Smith the Angel, Zoe Rose Palladino, and Snake, Snake, Snakes. Special thanks to our amazing baseball roundtable. Kate Featherston, Kariba Hine, Eric Moore, Eric Bass, Emily, and Megan. Additional all-star thanks to Lance Roberts, Will Dwyer, Aparna Kumar, Tamar Avashai, and all the dedicated Mortified Live producers who work to make the stage show possible. Until next time, we remind you that we're freaks, we're fragile, and we all survive. Good night. Good night.